We've been in a series over the last couple of weeks called Parables. We've been talking about Jesus' simple stories that have profound truth for us in our daily life today. They meant something to the people back then. A lot of times they've been misunderstood, misinterpreted, misrepresented, misquoted in today's day and age. And so what we've been doing is diving deep into the meaning behind the parables. The first one that we shared, we talked about the salt and light that believers are called to be here in this world. And then last week we talked about patches and wineskins. If you love wine, shout hallelujah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Um, sorry. I had to repeat the joke because it was good enough last week. But if, uh, if you missed that message, you can go online and listen to it uh, through Apple iTunes podcast or through our website. Today, the title of the message is Specs and Logs. So we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 7, and you can go ahead and turn there. It's a passage that uh, we'll read today, we'll dissect today, and uh, it's a famous parable of Jesus that even unbelievers know the first two words of. In fact, you probably would ask them to quote John 3.16, and they may not be able to do it, but they would know the first two verses of Matthew chapter 7 uh, the first two words, I should say, of Matthew chapter 7. So go with me there to Matthew chapter 7. We're still looking at Jesus' long-winded message called the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, It lasted two and a half, three chapters, from chapter 5 all the way through the end of chapter 7. And he's talking to the people, and he's delivering them good news. Chapter 7, verse 1, begins like this, and it says... Judge not. Have you ever heard somebody say, don't judge me, right? I've actually met a person that had a tattoo on them that said, only God can judge me. You've heard that? I've seen t-shirts like it, okay? The world understands this phrase, at least knows this phrase, but they may not completely understand it. And I have some sad news to deliver to you today. I think a majority of us as believers don't understand what Jesus is talking about either. So we're going to dive deep today. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Verse two, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Heavenly Father, I pray right now over your word and over this message that you, Lord, would strike the heart of every one of us today with your truth and, Lord, with your grace. God, that you would help us as we look into your word, help us to understand it in its fullness. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. How many of you judged me when you saw my jeans tucked into my boots? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. You're like, did his wife really let him out of the house like that? She did not. And I can't stand it either. So I'm going to go ahead and change it. <laughs> I figured just so you don't keep looking down and you actually listen to the message today. 
How many of you have ever been guilty of being caught in the middle of judging someone? Come on. (laughs) Okay. I got my family over here on the front row. They need to be quiet, okay, during this message. This is the word of the Lord, okay? Uh, We've all been guilty of judging someone based on their appearance. Oh, my goodness. What is she wearing? Oh, my word. What does he think he's doing? Yeah, we've had that sort of thing. There's a difference between that and what Jesus is getting to. We've all people watched in a mall. We've all criticized how someone was dressed. Jesus is going to some place that's deeper than just that. In fact, the Greek word that Matthew uses in Jesus' quote, the word judge means to pick out or choose by separating. To pick out or choose by separating. Now, we've all made quick judgments based on our opinion. So you like a certain fashion, and if you see somebody wearing the opposite of that fashion, you think to yourself, what is wrong with them? Why don't they have a brain? Does anybody love them in their household? Why did they let them out of the house looking like that? We, ha- we all have that. But this, what the word judge here is, is to pick out or choose by separating. It typically refers to making a determination of right or wrong, innocence or guilt, according to a legal standard. I want to give you a simple picture of judging in an agricultural setting. How many of you have ever been, you visited a farm or been to a farm? Raise your hand. Okay, so you'll understand, I'm going to talk about agriculture for a minute. When I, as I was growing up in southwest Florida, Naples, Fort Myers, and the woods in between, (laughs) all that area, uh, my uncle is a farmer, I've talked about him, Uh, I had several uncles who farmed plenty of land down there, and one of our favorite things to do as kids was to go run around, me and my brother, uh, and my cousins, and we'd go run around on the on the farm. We'd ride four wheelers. We'd you know go eat tomatoes and watermelon to our heart's content. You know we'd see all the workers in a building. This building was called a packing shed. Okay, uh, in the packing shed, that's where it was my favorite place to go because you could hide behind boxes, play hide and seek, and you'd tick off the workers because they'd be like, "Get out of here," you know that kind of thing. But we had a lot of fun. In the packing shed, what the people are doing, what the workers are doing, is they're sorting the crop, the harvest that has come from the field, in that place, they're sorting it so that they can sort it according to size, and workers are actually culling irregular size stuff. They're taking out the rotten fruit, the overripe. What they're doing is they're judging. They're judging according to a standard. They've got a chart or they've been told a tomato this size goes in this box, a tomato this size goes in this box, and they are making a judgment, a decision, a call on each one of those things. They're determining value based on a standard. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, go back there for me. It includes that well-known phrase that Jesus uttered, but it's always misquoted, or almost always, and is misunderstood. Uh, People think that the first two words of that uh, statement that Jesus makes end with a period. In doing so, they not only make a grammatical error, they make a moral error. How many of you appreciate good grammar? Christine, you better raise your hand back there. 
Thank the Lord for Christine. Everybody, let's give Christine a round of applause. She works hard back there. I've had her job once, and I don't want it ever again. She works hard back there to make it look good. Uh, put, up, put up that sign for me, Christine. The, um, yeah. Have you ever seen this? Okay. There's a difference between let's eat grandma. What? And let's eat grandma. Comma saves lives. Okay. That's, it's, it's true. Here's the deal though. Going back to Matthew chapter seven, verse one, there is no period. There is a comma. Jesus is not prohibiting all judgment. He's not outright prohibiting judgment. Let me restate Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 in a different way. Think about it like this. Don't judge unless you want to be judged. Or another way you could think about it is if you do judge, you better expect to be judged. So judgment is possible and it happens But I think what we need to do is we need to think deeper about how we judge and maybe we're starting at the wrong place when it comes to judgment. We tend to judge others and find it very easy to not or never judge ourselves. And Jesus starts digging deep into this, into the heart of man, mankind. In chapter 7, verse 2, It says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So along with judgment, there are other things in God's kingdom that are reciprocal. There's another place in Mark chapter 6, I believe. It says that, uh, and we quote it sometimes during like tithes and offering. We say, you know, if you give, it'll be given to you. Say it with me. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Okay? I remember the little kid song in Sunday school. What that's talking about, imagine, if you will, going to an ancient marketplace in Jerusalem. You go there, and there's a set of weights and measurements at every one of the fruit, produce, or meat stalls that you go to. And when you get there, there's a possibility that if there's a con man in the midst who owns that little stall, what they're going to do is, instead of packing the corn cobs tightly in your basket, they're just going to toss them in there. So then you've got a basket full of hot air (laughs) with a few ears of corn in it. Here's what Jesus is saying when he says, when you give, it'll be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over with the same measure you use, it'll be used for you. That's just one of the other examples. Forgiveness is another one. We talk about this often because we need to. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this in verse 14. He talks about another thing with, when it comes to reciprocity or being reciprocal. He talks about forgiveness being that way. Well, I just can't forgive her for what she did to me. Okay, listen to what Jesus says. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their sins against you, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I want you to listen closely to verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. That's a big pill to swallow. 
That means holding bitterness and unforgiveness towards someone can affect my relationship with God. This is serious. So when Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 7 and he says, when you're judging someone, use whatever measurement you use will be applied to you. That same standard will apply to you. This is where it gets really quiet. (laughs) Because we don't want to be judged according to the standard that we judge others. When you judge me, I want you to judge me graciously, compassionately, kindly, mercifully. I want you to take into consideration all the details of my life, the struggles and the things, the trials I've been through. I want you to think about those things before you issue that judgment. But do I do the same when I judge others? No. The measure you use for others will be used for you. If we're wise, we'll heed these words of Jesus. The big question then becomes, how do you want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? You say, well, pastor, this message doesn't really apply to me. Oh, trust me, it does. (laughs) Trust me, it does. And that's not me just pointing a, a shaking finger at you. I'm telling you, just wait till the end. You have to anyway, because you already made it here. So I'm glad you're here. But... How do you want to be judged? Do you want to be judged cruelly? Thank you. (laughs) Come on. I like interaction. This is good. Do you want to be judged ruthlessly or unlovingly or without compassion? The answer is absolutely not. None of us do. So how do we want to be judged should shape how we judge others. Look at verse 3, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is so good, he's brilliant when he asks this question. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? I want you to think about that for just a second. Why is it so easy for us as humans to see the glaring problem in someone else and disassociate ourselves or excuse away our own faults and failures. Why is it? Just think about that. I think that one of the things that affects us and causes that to happen is something that we don't like to talk about, and that's pride. See, pride is a blinding force to its possessor. It blinds us to being able to see. And let me tell you, how ma- let's just get this out right here. How many of you have ever been corrected by someone you loved? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you enjoyed that? Anybody? No hands. Okay. I just want to be sure that we're on the same page today. Pride. Pride is a blinding force to its possessor. There are many reasons why people judge other people. You might judge them based on the way that you've been raised. You might judge them based on their clothing, on their outward appearance, social, economic, different things like that. But this is what I want to get at today. I think we as Christians judge people for two main reasons. The first is this, jealousy. And the second is self-righteousness. It's a good news message, I promise, okay? I promise. But here's the thing. Even David in the Psalms struggled with jealousy. He's sitting there and he is wondering, God, why are the wicked living it up and I'm over here suffering? 
God, why do you like, how is this possible that this is? And he's writing these words for us to be able to see he had that same struggle. Why is it? God, I'm obeying you. And yet this has happened to me. Fill in the blank. God, I'm doing my best. And this other person doesn't even know you, doesn't even care. And they are, man, by all accounts, they're successful. They've got it all together. So jealousy can affect us. It can even affect us inside the church. Self-righteousness is another big one. And I think when we're jealous, talking about that, what we're trying to do when we judge somebody is we're trying to knock them down a peg to try to make it attainable for us. We're consumed when it comes to self-righteousness, we're consumed with a greater opinion of ourselves than we ought to have, and we make everyone else out to be the bad guy and less than us in our own opinion. Why? Because it feels good. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to tell you something. This is wise words. If you're sinning and it doesn't feel good, you're not doing it right. Okay? (laughs) Wait a second. Pastor, what are you talking about? It feels good to be self-righteous, but it's not holy. Hello, can I get an amen? Amen. It's not God's will for us to live that way. So self-righteousness, what that does is exalt me over those who are around me. And here's what self-righteousness is. It's a symptom of a disease called pride. So Jesus is hitting the nail on the head with his people who are listening, his audience that day. No human is immune to pride. Think of the greatest example of kindness. Your grandmother, whatever, okay? I I thought of Mother Teresa, okay? Think of someone, St. Augustine. Think of some great name that we've read about. They did all of these wonderful things in the name of God for the church because of their love for Christ. And even those people had to deal, had to battle at least a few times in their life with something called pride. None of us are immune to it. Look at what Proverbs 16 verse 5 says about pride. It says, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Ladies, don't look at that verse and be like, oh, that's just for the men. No, it's talking about all of us, okay? Everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. An abomination is something that causes displeasure and anger. Don't you want to please the Lord? If you want to please the Lord, then you will take strides to work on your pride. We've got to fight pride vigilantly. So go to chapter 7, verse 4. Jesus continues to open it up to them. And he says, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? So what qualifies you to help someone? This is essentially my paraphrase. What qualifies you to help someone when you yourself need so much help? This week, um, I helped my youngest daughter. She's serving in the nursery this morning. But I helped her this week. And I'm conscious about my eyes because I'm like, okay, do I have anything in my eyes this morning? Um, I helped her this week fish out an eyelash that was in the corner of her eye. 
we were standing in line somewhere, and I looked down. She looked at me, and we're talking. And I said, oh, baby, I said, you've got an eyelash right there, like by her tear duct. So I put my dirty finger <laughs> right up in there and dug it out. It was uncomfortable for her. But how ridiculous would it be if I was wearing eye patches? How much harm do you think I would cause to someone if I had something giant protruding out of my face and I was trying to help them with their problem, yet not dealing with my own problem? Jesus is getting something said to these people that he still wants to say to people today, which is... Just like, I don't know if you've seen this internet meme, but the little girl is trying to buckle her seatbelt, her car seat, and the parent in the front offers assistance, and she throws up her hand and says, worry about yourself. You just worry about yourself. <laughs> I, I got this, you know? So here's what Jesus is hinting at and really trying to get to is you and I need work before we can help other people. Look at what verse 5 says. Here's, here's another place a grammatical error takes place, and it has in the church as well as in the world's understanding of this. People think that there's a period after Jesus saying, you hypocrite, or an exclamation point rather. But there's not. There's a comma there where Jesus is actually helping us see something, pun intended. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I find it interesting that Jesus actually passes judgment in the judge not parable when he says, you hypocrite. Everyone's familiar with that term. Basically what it is, is as someone that has a moral standard, but they proclaim that moral standard, but they don't live according to that Standard. It doesn't, it doesn't play out in their real life every day. In this last statement about the specks and the logs, I want you to notice something incredible. If you've never seen it like this before, I want you to think about it today. Jesus, even in the moment of calling people out on their hypocrisy, is offering hope for healing. If you read it with clear eyes, spiritual eyes to see what he's saying, there's healing available to you for the log in your eye, and there's healing available to your brother or your sister for the speck that's in their eye. That's amazing. He's brilliant the way that he puts this for these people. He's saying, first handle yourself and then then you will be able to help others. You can help others heal once you have healed, but not before. Remember, judging means to pick out or choose by separating. And Jesus is talking about something deeper than surface level appearance based judgment. Although he warns against this as well. Go with me to John chapter 7 verse 24. It says this, Jesus clearly says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He's saying that we must be careful to make right judgments 
and not simply judge people by their appearance. How many of you would be honest in the house of God today and say you've made a wrong judgment based on appearances before? (laughs) Yeah, I have too. We've all been guilty of that. We've judged someone and said, oh, look at them. I can't believe they're whatever, fill in the blank. And then you find out they're definitely not. It's just a bad day. Or they just, you know, don't have a mirror in their house today. I don't know. You know, you judge them based on appearance and then you realize, oh, they they own a company. Oh, wow, I didn't even know that. That's crazy. You know, we judge that way and Jesus warns against us judging that way. But he says, judge with right judgment. So Jesus is not prohibiting judging judging altogether. He's issuing a warning that if we do, we will be. I want to be clear about two specific things that we as Christians have a responsibility when it comes to judgment. Christians have a responsibility to make judgments about truth and falsehood. It's very clear. If you're taking notes today, write these down. Galatians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 3, 1 John 4, 1 Corinthians 6. Okay, I know I went really fast, but listen, you can find plenty of places where Paul gives the instructions to churches and says, hey, there's a problem here. You've got to remedy this problem. He says in another place, don't listen to anybody else that comes to you with any other gospel. Any other message, I don't care if an angel shows up and has wings on and tells you something else different than what we said, don't believe it. Discern between what is true and what is a lie, what is true and what is false. So there is absolutely nothing wrong with you as a believer. In fact, you are demanded or commanded to make judgments about truth and falsehood. You're not to sit under the preaching and ministry of someone or read the book or buy the Amazon Audible of some false teacher or preacher. You've got to discern what is true, what is according to God's word. And let me tell you, there's a lot of funky stuff out there that says that it's Christian. Be careful. Make wise judgments about that. The second thing that we have a responsibility to do, and this is one that none of us want to do, is to hold other believers accountable for their sin. You say, Pastor, that makes me uncomfortable. I didn't know I was part of that kind of church. You are. (laughs) You need to be. Here's how this happens, though. And let me give you this example clear and as simple as possible. This is why you hear your pastor all the time warn against those people who stand on a street corner with a giant sandwich board sign that says, repent or go to hell. That is not the kind of thing that we want to proclaim. Is it true? Yes, it is true. But without the context of relationship, I'm sorry, parents, if I mess with your kids today. Okay, listen, it is true. But outside of the context of relationship, that's falling on deaf ears. 
But if I'm in community with you, if I'm your coworker and I've known you for five years and I've seen how you live your life and I know how you talk about your wife and your family and I know that you're invested in your church and I have a relationship with you, when you come to me with a care and concern for my soul's worth and value, I'm way more apt to listen. That's I mean, you can go knock on your neighbor's doors today and say, where were you? Why weren't you at my church? (laughs) Don't come back here next Sunday, okay? (laughs) It's not going to make a difference to them. But within the context of Christian fellowship and brotherhood, here, and that's the issue. We live in America where it's me, myself, and I, I'm an individual, get out my life, don't, don't be part of anything that, don't you, you have no right If you're in this church, and if you're in any Bible-believing church, I do have a right. And you have a right as well. We should exercise that right with caution. And we should be healed before we can offer true healing for anybody else. But we've got to be at the place where we hold other believers accountable for sin. There's one place I will put you that you can write down in your notes for this point that you can write down and look at later. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. It's a dramatic story that I cannot share today. I don't have time to, and it's Family Sunday. But there is a crazy situation that Paul deals with, and there's an example there, just one of many, of how we're to hold each other accountable. We say that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to hold others accountable. Sorry, you got the job. You and I each have a responsibility to do this. And why do we have that responsibility? We have it because of something called love. The Bible tells us, and Jesus actually said, that we are to love one another. Come on, louder. You've been in church before. Love one another. Exactly. So let me give you some practical applications about how we can put this message to work in your life today. Point number one is this. There's five, okay? I'll go through them quick. The first one is this. Worry about yourself. (laughs) Worry about yourself. That's not to the exclusion of you not worrying about me. I need you to worry about me as a brother and a sister. I need your life, your love, your community, your fellowship. But the first step is for me to worry about myself. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. So mind your own business. We like to say that when we're like little kids, like mind your own business. Well, mind your own business as it pertains to your spiritual life and get yourself to a place of health. Before you try to help others. The second thing is this. When tempted to judge. Which we all are. First perform a self-examination. This is challenging. This means that God and a relationship with him. Is more than just me showing up for an hour and ten minutes on Sunday morning. This means that I should actually be reading my Bible every day. And I should be praying for needs in my life. And the lives of others. This means that I should be saying, I'm telling you, (laughs) you should be praying this prayer outside of church too. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? 
in the midst of this chaos at my job or in the midst of this issue with my family, in the midst of whatever it is you're facing, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? To, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to behave? I think the church would look drastically different. And I say not just our church, but the church of Jesus Christ would look drastically different if when we were tempted to judge, we first did a self-examination. Number three is this, deal with your self-righteousness. Deal with your self-righteousness. How do you deal with your self-righteousness? You humble yourself. <laughs> How do you humble yourself? It's not fun, it's not easy, but here's a good, good pattern to have. If you want to build humility in your life, you have to take a posture of humility before you become humble. I want you to think about that for a second. I've recently watched a TV show that involves a different culture. And in their culture, they bow to greet one another. It's a posture of humility and you're important and I'm, I'm here in your presence. They take that posture you and I need to take that as a spiritual posture that we would say, Lord, you, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want me to live according to your standard and live that way rather than exalting ourselves? Here's the problem. The church has gotten a bad rap over the years because of our self-righteousness. It's gotten really quiet. There's some old believers in here from days gone by. Do you remember some of the self-righteous things that we used to deal with? We dealt with a lot of it, and we still do. Self-righteousness of me exalting my own standard and becoming God over you. That's tough. Deal with your self-righteousness. The fourth thing is this. Deal with your pride. <laughs> It's another thing because again, self-righteousness comes from pride, but the pride that is there, you've got to actually pray a bold prayer and ask God to help you deal with your pride. Because I'm going to tell you this, you can't do it by yourself without the Holy Spirit's work. And pray a bold prayer. Pray a dangerous prayer. Pray a prayer that you're willing to live under the results and benefit of. God, help me deal with my pride. You know how the Lord will do that? He'll help you by giving you humbling circumstances. Like another dangerous prayer, don't pray for patience because what? God will give you things that frustrate you and give you the example or the time to be able to develop patience. We say that as a joke, don't pray for patience. You should. You should pray for humility, but just be prepared that God is going to help you by humbling you. But the Lord loves the humble. And the fifth one is this, love one another. In the context of relationship, like I said a moment ago, correction is necessary. Correction is love. I want you to listen and pay close attention to this last point. When I talk about loving one another like Jesus wants us to, loving you forbids me to judge you. 
It forbids me to size you up and cast you away or write you off. But love also forbids me to size you up and walk away and say, oh, well, I'm glad I'm not dealing with that. Lord, bless that person over there. Lord, help them. Love forbids me to leave you high and dry walking this life alone as a believer. Scripture declares that God is the only righteous judge from Genesis to Revelation. And the Bible clearly tells us that there will be a judgment for all people, each and every person. Whether you believe in God or not is immaterial. God is going to judge every human. The Bible says there are two different judgments that will happen, that will take place. And how or what you believe determines where you spend eternity. If you believe in God, His Son, Jesus Christ, that determines your destination. But the level of reward or the level of punishment that you and I, believer or unbeliever, will receive is based on what we've done in this life. There will be a judgment. So because of a judgment that's coming, an impending judgment... For each and every one of us, we should be very cautious about how we judge one another. But by God, don't shy away from helping those who need healing once you've been healed yourself. Would you stand with me today? Let's be the church that's slow to judge others, but quick to help others. Amen? that does self-examination, that works on our self-righteousness, that works on our pride, that gets these things out of, out of the way, and that loves one another as Christ has asked us to. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? If it's your first time with us or first time in a long time, we pray a prayer nearly every week. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I encourage you to do that. Kids in the room, you do it today as well. Let's do it audibly, just at a whisper. You don't have to shout. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? It may be uncomfortable what he tells you, but it's worth listening to because he wants to do a work in your life. And I believe with all of my heart, he wants to do a work in our church. He wants to do a work in my life and your life. Holy Spirit, speak to your church today. Help us, Lord. Help us to uproot the roots of pride in our life and self-righteousness. Help us, God, to have clear eyes and clarity to help heal others. Lord, help us be who you've called us to be, the shining light in this world. As the worship team leads us in this last song, I want to encourage you to just connect with the Lord during this time. You can sing along if you'd like to, but continue to pray and ask the Lord and say, Lord, I commit myself. I'm going to do what you've spoken to my heart. Or Lord, this week I'm committing to work on my fill in the blank, whatever it is. Make a commitment today. Look up at me. Jesus loves you. He loves you with all of his heart. So receive that love today and apply it in your life. Let's worship him.